We are continuing our verse-by-verse study through 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2. I had to think there for a second. I've studied it all week. I should know the chapter, shouldn't I? Yeah. Um, all righty. Good deal. Good deal. As I was preparing this week and, and looking at what the Apostle Paul says in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the, the thought that kept coming to my mind was this. What's the spiritual climate in the world today? What is the spiritual gauge in our world today? Where, where is everybody at? Zero. That's right. You're exactly right. You know, I see, I see two, 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 two things in the world today. I see great pockets of revival and people coming to know the Lord. And I see exciting things going on in the kingdom of God. And I praise the Lord for that. But at the same time, I see a lot of darkness too. I see both of them taking place in the world. I see people coming to know Christ and getting closer to the Lord and walking with him. And then I see people falling away or not even coming to Christ and going deeper and deeper into darkness. I titled my message, I went through about three different changes this week, but finally last night at 11.30, I said, okay, the title of my message is going to be Being Faithful in an Age of Unbelief. My, the title before that was Being Faithful in an Age of Compromise, and before that, it was Being Faithful in an Age of Uncertainty. But, but times are difficult. We are living in an age like never before where Christian values are being tested and the lines are being drawn. You know, if you stand up and say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, you will get some heat. If you stand for the truth of marriage, one man, one woman for life and holy matrimony, you will catch some heat. It wasn't that way 20 years ago. If you take a stand for the truth of Christianity, you will take some heat. Whether it's in your work life or the public life or whatever, um, there's a line that's being, that's being, there's a division taking place. People are having to step up and say, this is what I believe and I stand firm in it. That's what's taking place. We are not the first generation to face opposition. We, we are not the first. This has been going on for a very long time. Turn in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's look at the first two verses. We are not the first generation of believers to face opposition. Chapter 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid, what does it say? Much opposition. Much opposition. Even in the first century, when supernatural things were taking place and miracles amongst the apostles, even then they faced opposition. They faced challenging times. The message met resistance then, just like it does today. And I think, I, think, I think some opposition can be good. I think some opposition can be good for believers. Because what does it do? It tests the veracity of our faith. It, make, it makes us make a decision 
and, and, and establish our faith that we're going to stand firm on the truth. The Apostle Paul, he's referencing here back to Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17. But the, the Apostle Paul, as he says here in verse 2, he faced a lot of opposition. In Acts chapter 16 at Philippi, a demon-possessed girl was set free under the ministry of Paul and Silas. Okay, She is liberated. She is set free. There's no longer a demon in her. What happens to Paul and Silas? They get beaten. They get beaten. Stripes put across their back. And then they get put into a jail cell. They get put into jail under shackles. Because they set a young lady free. Because they brought the good news of the gospel to this young lady. Then, then they leave Philippi and they go to Thessalonica. And they reason with the Jews for three, for three Sabbaths. And in Acts chapter 17 it says that some of them believed but some people hated on them. The Jews rejected their message. The haters stirred up a mob and they stormed the house of Jason. You can find this in Acts 17. And it got so dangerous for Paul and Silas that they had to escape Thessalonica in the middle of the night. That's how volatile it was. That's how, that's how threatened their life was. Paul, Paul and Silas were not living their best life now. They were in danger of losing their life. And look at verse 2. Look at verse 2 of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But look at what it says. In the midst of this persecution, in the midst of this difficult time, in verse 2, Paul says, And we had the boldness in our God to speak. Where did that boldness come from? Where did that, where did that boldness come from? It didn't come from the exterior because they had, they had whelps across their back. They were being run out of town. They were being persecuted. My friend, it came from the Holy Spirit. It came from the Spirit of God. Them being born again trusting in Christ, and the Holy Spirit gave them deep resolve to continue their mission. Despite the death threats, the imprisonments, and the wounds, they said, you know what, we're going to stay the course. We're going to stay the course, and we're going to carry this gospel to the Gentile world. They were focused, and they were determined. And my friend, if you and I are going to continue to serve the Lord till he returns at the rapture, we're going to have to have the same resolve. Now, it's awesome if you're living in a place where you're, you're not, um, where there's revival and great, the Lord's doing great things. But there's also some of us that, that are, are living in, in environments where times are challenging. Where if we speak up for our faith, it can become difficult. But we've got to have boldness. We've got to have this deep inner resolve to stay the course and to be faithful to Christ. I want to give to you this morning... We're going to go through the whole chapter this morning. I want to give you, I, I see seven ways that we are faithful in an age of unbelief. Or seven ways that we are faithful in challenging times. Seven ways we can be faithful in a day and age where there's lots of compromise. Where preachers are going on the Oprah show and, and, and the view and denying the deity of Christ. And, 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 they're, and they're not defining marriage as a husband and a wife. We've got to dig down deep. And, and let our faith be grounded in the word of God so that we can stand firm when we're challenged and make a stand for Christ. So let's pray, and then we're going to get into verse 3. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. As we look at it now, uh, speak to our hearts. Encourage us 
and, and help us, Lord, to examine ourselves. And by your grace and by your Holy Spirit, let us grow this morning in our commitment to you to be faithful in challenging times. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. All right, let's look at the first way we can be faithful. Look at verses 3 and 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, the scripture says, For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. And these, these, these verses right here, verses 3 and 4, give us the first principle for being faithful. And that is this. We need to understand that you and I are stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what a steward is? A steward, he does not own it. He, but he possesses it. It's not ours. The gospel of Jesus Christ belongs to God. It's his message. And, and he, is, he has entrusted us. It says God has entrusted the gospel to us. So we're entrusted with it. We, are, we, are, um, we protect it. We keep it. It's ours. But ultimately it belongs to God. And when, and when we're stewards of the gospel, three things will take place. One, we'll defend the gospel, we'll love the gospel, and we'll share the gospel. We defend it. Jude chapter 3, excuse me, Jude 3 says, uh, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. As stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ, every believer is charged with Defending the gospel. Defending the truth of what the Bible says. Yes, Jesus Christ is 100% God. He is 100% man. He is deity. He, is born, he was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless, perfect life. Suffered and died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended on high. We firmly hold and we defend it. And when people attack it, we defend it. With what? The scriptures. God's word. Second thing we do as a steward of the gospel is we love it. We love it. This book is God's written word to you. It's his love letter. It's his message to each and every individual. The message of reconciliation. The message of how we find peace with God. That's, and we love it. It's through God's inspired word. The Holy Spirit wrote this book. You know that, right? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But the Holy Spirit wrote this book. This is not just the writings of men. God superseded these men in their writing and gave us his inspired, infallible word so that he could communicate with us the truth of who he is and how we could find peace with him. And because of that, we love it and we cherish it. It's, it's an amazing scripture. And finally, we share it. In a spirit of grace, and a spirit of truth, and a spirit of love, we share the gospel with other people. That Christ came to give you new life. That Christ came to forgive you of your sins. That no matter where you're at in life, God can turn things around by giving you a new start. That's the message we proclaim to people. That they no longer have to live under the guilt of their sin and their shame and their condemnation. But they can go to Mount Calvary and find complete forgiveness 
and complete restoration. And then they can say with us in the Apostle Paul, as he did in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the message we have. A reconciliation is this beautiful message. We have found the path to eternal life. What a beautiful message. And that's the message that we share with people. Amen? Look at verse, uh, we're at verse 5. So the first one is we understand we're a steward of the gospel. Um, there's, there's two principles in, in verse 5. Let's look at those. For we, we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. It says, for God is witness. The second way that we're faithful in an age of unbelief. The, the way that Paul was faithful when he went to Thessalonica and Berea and he was, when he was at Philippi is with this. We use our words to speak the truth. We, there it is. We use our words to speak the truth. In other words, we don't lie. We, we don't lie. We don't deceive people with our words. In verse 5 it says, For we never came with flattering speech. You know what flattering words are? Is this. It's telling people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And we have to be very careful that we speak the truth in love and we tell people what they need to hear and not just try to make them feel good, but to speak the truth in love. That's, that's, our, that's our message. That's the second way that we, that we are faithful to God in an age of unbelief is we use our mouth to speak the truth in love and to speak truth. The third way found in verse 5, he says, after he, says, after he says, for we never came with flattering speeches, you know, look at what he says, nor with a pretext for greed. That word pretext, it means a cloak. In other, it says, in other words, a, a pretext for greed. The, the third way we're faithful is we're not driven by money. And that pretext is like a cloak. It's like we're coming with a message, but the real, the real meaning is you're trying to get people's money. That's not what the church is about. That's not what Christians are about. They can leave their checkbook at home if they, if they feel that way. We're about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaiming the gospel and building the kingdom in people's lives. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 33, to the uh, Ephesian elders before he was heading to Jerusalem, he says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. The church is not driven by money. Believers are not driven by money. We're not driven by greed. We're driven by the Holy Spirit. We're driven by the Holy Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of us, pushing us forward to go and make disciples and teach people about the kingdom. We're, 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 we're driven by the Holy Spirit. We're driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and because of what God has done in our lives, we're driven with a love for people. We genuinely love people and we want to help them. That's what the church is about. You know, whether it's taking up a collection and, and buying groceries for someone who's been in the hospital or someone that's going through some, some situations in their life or visiting people in the hospital, we're about caring for people. When it comes to finances, the faithful servant and the faithful church will understand this, that God will provide. What does it say in Genesis? He is Jehovah who? Jehovah Jireh, he is God our provider. He is God our provider. And it, 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 the, the, the business of the church is about building the kingdom and, and, and not about 
uh, squeezing the flock like wet rag and trying to get everything you can out of them. That's not what it's about. So uh, number three was we're not driven by money. Let's look at number four, the fourth way we're faithful, found in verse six. He says, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. The apostle Paul wanted no esteem. He wanted no honor. He wanted no accolades. He wanted no reward. The fourth way that we're faithful, which I believe Paul is pointing here in in this verse, is this, that we give all the honor and glory to Jesus Christ. That's our goal. That's our goal. It's not, not that you see me or not that they see you, but that they see Christ in us, ministering through us to the people. Why? Because he is worthy. He is worthy. Paul didn't die on the cross for our sins. David didn't die on the cross for our sins. You didn't do anything great. Jesus did. So we make a whole lot about him and a lot less about us. He should always be the centerpiece in our life. He should always be the centerpiece. So our desire is to bring him honor and glory in the way we live, in the way we do church, in our families, in our life. We want people to see Christ. We want people to see the Lord. Now let's, look at, let's read verses 7 through 11, because I believe he's tying everything together here. I'll go ahead and tell you the fifth way that we're faithful is, is we show people that we deeply care like family. And that comes from verses um, 7 through 11. Let's look at verses 7 through 11. The text says, For we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, and how working night and days so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you believers just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own mother. There is this within the body of Christ, within Christianity, when we're born again and the Holy Spirit's dwelling in us, he produces this family-like love for one another. That's why I call Blake brother. That's why I call all you guys my brothers. That's why we call all you ladies our sisters. Because we're family. That's not just a title you put on the front of somebody. It describes a relationship that takes place within the body of Christ. Go back and look at verse 7. and Listen to these terms of endearment that the Apostle Paul makes 2,000 years ago. How beautiful. This gives us insight into Paul's heart, into his mind, into Christianity in the first century. In verse 7, he says, Nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. You know how much a mama loves her her daughter or son. You You don't mess with their child. And he says that that's the relationship that we have within the body of of, of Christ, is that we deeply love each other to that point. Verse 8, he says, he uses the phrase, an affection for you. In verse 8 again, he says, very dear to us. And then in verse 11, uh, verse 7, he, he, 
he, he makes the illustration of a mother's love. But then when you get to verse 11, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children. One of the jobs of a father in the home, the mother does it also, but I think the father takes the lead role on it, is he exhorts and he encourages his children. You know, it could be said of mom and dad, but in my case as a father, you know, Emily and Daniel's biggest fan is me. Nobody wants them to succeed in life more than me. So I encourage them. I exhort them. I, I don't dishearten them or I don't try to break their heart, but I try to encourage my children and move them forward as a faithful father would. Well, that, that should happen within the body of Christ. That should take place within the church. That same love, that same care that when someone's going through a difficult trial, other believers will come around and they'll encourage and exhort just like a father would their child. Or show them love and mercy and care, just like a mother. Do you see? Do you see it in the in the text, in the passage, the care and love that Paul had for the church and they had for one another? That's a sign of authentic Christianity. That that is the mark of a faithful believer in a world of unbelief, in a world going south, is that we deeply care. In, In Christianity, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we go the extra mile for each other. We, we see what's going on in their life, and we say, hey, we're going to help them. We're going to get the meal train going. We're going to send them meals. We're going to take up a collection and buy them groceries. We're going to go and fix that porch. We're going to do whatever it takes to help the family out. You know, um, the, the fifth principle we show, we deeply care for each other. We, we, you know what we're doing? We're displaying Christ. Because that's what he did for the disciples. And that's what he did for the people he came in contact when he was here on earth. He displayed his love, his compassion, and his truth. And isn't that the kind of body you want to be a part of? They got your back. They're there for you. That's what we're to be about. Let's continue in our verse-by-verse study. Let's look at verse 12. Verse 12 as I believe the sixth way we're faithful, which is to make it our mission to build the kingdom. Verse 12 says, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The sixth way that we're faithful is we make it our mission to build the kingdom of God. We make our job, the church, the church's primary mission is to make men and women that are followers of Jesus Christ. And it's not just the church's job, but it's also your job too. Yes, you are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ and to build the kingdom in people's lives. How do you do that? Hey, Rick, what you doing Monday night? Let's go out for a cup of coffee and a Bible study. That's how you do it. That's how you make, that's how you build, that's how you build the kingdom. That's how you make disciples. Hey, son, June, let's go out and let's start a Bible study on Monday nights. And let's get into each other's lives and let's talk. And, and let's get real. Let's, we'll, we'll spend the first week or two talking about the surface, but hopefully by week three and week four, we're digging in deep. And we're getting into each other's lives. And we're building a friendship. We're building a relationship. And we're building it on the foundation of the Word as we study the Bible. And both you and the person that you meet with becomes a wholehearted follower of Christ Jesus. That, it's that simple, guys. You can do it at Starbucks. You can do it in your living room. 
is just inviting people to follow Christ and to grow in their relationship with him. Simple as that. It, do, it doesn't take the, the pastor's not responsible for all the discipleship in the church. You know, you can do it. You can do it. And it starts with just one. It starts with just one. Meeting with that one individual. Think you can do that? Some of you people, some of you guys, it might be people you work with. It might be people in your family. But you need that. Maybe you're the one needing discipled. Find that strong believer. Find that strong believer and say, hey, man, can we get together? Can we start meeting once a week or, or a couple times a month? That's how discipleship takes place. That's how building the kingdom takes place. It's one, it's one soul, one man, one woman at a time. Look at verse 13. He says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. This is why Pastor David made Calvary Chapel his church in 2004. When I came to, this, when I came to a church and they were teaching the word, they were teaching the word of God, expositorily, verse by verse, I believe, and it's not just I believe it, it is, this book is the inspired word of God. And the seventh way that we're faithful in, in an age of unbelief is that we handle God's word carefully. That's number seven. You need to understand, when you read scripture, when you read the pages of the Bible, you're not reading the words of Paul or Peter or Isaiah you're actually reading the very word of God that's inspired from him. Uh, the, 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 the word comes from 2 Timothy 3.16. It's theonostos from 2 Timothy 3.16. For all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But all scripture is breathed out. The best translation of this verse is found in the NIV. The NASB says, inspired by God. But the NIV gets it right. It says, all scripture is breathed out. The Bible, is like it rolled straight out of his mouth onto the pages of the scripture. That's, that's, that's how strong this word is. That's how, that's how awesome God's word is. And we need to understand that. that, that is, well, this isn't, well, 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 Peter said this, and, and Paul said this, and, and I understand where you're going. And you will hear me at, at times when, I, when, I'm going, when I'm teaching through the Bible, I will say, well, Peter says here and, and James says here, but ultimately it's God speaking through these men to give us the inspired word of God. It is, it is divinely breathed out. And that is one of those truths, as we talked about a while ago, that we defend, that we defend. Uh, throughout the scriptures, they, they constantly use the Bible as the foundation. They would, the, the Old Testament prophet would say, it is is written or have you not heard what was said Jesus would and then Jesus in the gospel says verily verily I say unto thee you know it's inspired by God and we need to understand that and hold fast to that biblical truth so verse 14 verse 14 he says for you brethren now this verse when we get into verses 14 through 19 the apostle Paul is really tying this back to the opening verses where he talked about the difficulty and the opposition that he faced 
at um, Thessalonica and, um, and Philippi. He's going back. He says in verse 14, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. When Paul left Philippi and he traveled to Thessalonica, the scripture says in Acts chapter 17, what he did is it says, it says for three Sabbaths in a row, he went to the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews from the scripture that Jesus was the Christ. But evidently, there was a strong presence of Judaism there at Thessalonica. And just as, just as the, um, the Judaism in Jerusalem persecuted the early church as it started in Jerusalem, evidently there was persecution at the church of Thessalonica that mirrored what happened in Jerusalem. Look at verse 15. He says, he's making a comparison between these Jews at Thessalonica and the Jews in Jerusalem. He says, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men. One of the biggest enemies of Christianity is religion. Is religion. Is religion, is tradition, is uh, man's rules, man's ways. Those get in the way of true devotion to Christ. What we need to have a, an authentic relationship with God and to be real and to be transparent with him is the very thing that you have on your lap right now, your Bible and the Holy Spirit dwelling inside your heart. You've got those, my friend. You've got everything. And tradition and religion, it, it, just, it just it gets in the way. It gets in the way. And look at what Paul says about them in verse 16. He's talking about the, these, uh, these Jews that, that opposed him, that, that tried to hunt him down, that tried to take his life. You know, he, he, was, he, he was like a rabbit and they were like a fox and they chased him everywhere and they wanted to kill him. Verse 16, he says, hindering us from speaking to the, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. The Apostle Paul's missionary journeys and his trip to Rome that we have in the book of Acts was hard. It was very hard. It was tough. It, would, it, it took Paul to the brink. It took Paul to the edge. Everything he endured. He was imprisoned at uh, Philippi, Philippi. He was imprisoned at Caesarea. He was, uh, later on, he was imprisoned at Rome. He was beaten. It was either Lystra or Iconium, one of the two. Uh, I, don't, I don't have it in my notes, but it was either at Lystra or Iconium. It says, the scripture says, he was dragged out of the city and he was stoned. He, he, they put the rocks to him, trying to put him out. But he was beaten with rods at Philippi. He had to escape by night at Thessalonica. 
At Berea, um, Berea is where he went after he left, left Thessalonica. It says he went to Berea, and it said there, it's an awesome statement in, in Acts 17. It says that they, they, um, they embraced, they received his word. Now it says that they, they diligently examined the scriptures to make sure what he was saying was, was correct. And so he was making major headway at Berea in Acts chapter 17. But it didn't last very long because it says, the scripture says Jews from Thessalonica came down and started stirring them up. It's like they, they, they just they wanted to stop Paul. Do you know ultimately, do you know why Paul was sent to Rome? You know, he was going to go stand before Caesar. He was arrested and incarcerated and sent to Rome because they wanted to stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it backfired. The very thing they meant to do, which was to stop the gospel, it took the gospel to Rome. Because Paul goes to Rome and witnesses and makes disciples. And that's how Christianity spreads. It, 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 it spreads when, men, when the fire is put to men under stressful times, when it, when it forces us to make a decision. Okay, am I going to do the right thing? Am I going to serve Christ? And when we make that decision and we're fortified in our spirit to, to, to move forward with that frame of mind, that's when Christianity spreads. That's when authentic um, Christianity takes place. Is when people are persecuted because, and, and they continue to make a stand for Christ. It shows that they, they, they've had that, that, that in their heart. They've decided, you know what, I'm going to serve Christ. I'm going to endure this. But uh, he was imprisoned at Philippi. He was imprisoned at Caesarea. He was ultimately imprisoned in Rome. The, the, this, the, 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 the apostle that wrote this letter um, eventually was beheaded after the New Testament was written. He gave his life. You know, this wasn't a accept Jesus, trust in Christ, and everything's going to be well in life. This was embrace the call that eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. This new life is here. And now, Paul, go out and live it. Despite the persecution, despite all the hard times he had to go through, he said, I would endure it because Jesus Christ is worthy. That was his frame of mind. That was his thought process. He was a man on a mission. And you and I need to be the same way in our faith in Christ. We need to be a man or a woman on mission that I'm going to serve Christ no matter what. Look, look at verse 17 as we close up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says in verse 17, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Do you hear the love that Paul has? Do you see the, do you, you can just, it, the, the, the pages of scripture of Paul's writing, they just drip with his love for the body. And that's part of our faithfulness to the Lord also, is that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we care for them deeply. And he says in verse 18, this is where, this is where, this is where the, the opposition was truly born that came against him at Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. Here, Paul reveals the true enemy of the gospel, and that is Satan. Satan hates the gospel. Satan wants to keep men and women under bondage, and Jesus Christ offers them freedom 
and forgiveness and liberty. Satan opposes evangelism. When you start, re- don't, don't expect things to go well when you start reaching out to people and evangelizing because Satan hates it and he's going to fight it and he's going to throw every monkey wrench he can into the spokes to keep you from evangelizing, to keep you from doing that thing the Lord has called you to do in your outreach. And ultimately, um, looking at everything that Paul did, Satan hates missionary work. He hates it when people go out to bring the good news of the gospel. He knows his time is limited. He knows one day he'll be in a place called the Lake of Fire, and he wants to take as many as he can with him. But we have something that's greater, something that can save people, that can redeem people, that can rescue people from the Lake of Fire, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ and this message of hope and eternal life. Now, love verse 19 Who is, who, before we look at it, who is our hope? Who is our joy? Jesus, right? I say the same thing. Who is my hope? Who is my joy? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look at what the Apostle Paul says here. It's very interesting. He closes with, he says this, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? I, like you, said, Jesus! Jesus is my crown. He is my hope. He is my exaltation. But that's not what Paul's saying here. Continue reading. He said, Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Paul found his joy in discipling and making these believers in knowing that one day, They are going to stand before the Lord of glory. He found joy in that, and so can we. We can find joy in the journey of Christianity, helping other people find Christ. Because you know what? There's, 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 There's an hourglass. There's an hourglass with all the sand in the top and some in the bottom, and it's going. One day that that hourglass is going to come empty, and the rapture of Jesus Christ will take place. And on that day, those who are in Christ, those who are, who are believers, will, will be taken to heaven in this event called the rapture. And that is our ultimate goal, is to prepare men and women to meet the one that created them. The one that formed you, that gave you these awesome hands and these eyes and these ears. Look at the intricacy of the human body. He's masterful. But there's a problem, though, with us. We're fallen. We have fallen into sin because of the rebellion that took place in the Garden of Eden. And God has made a way for us to be forgiven through Christ Jesus. And I talked about this last week. You know, there's another step in our salvation. The scripture talks about uh, justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is when you come to Christ, you're forgiven of everything. You have a new life. Sanctification is in our life. We're growing in our relationship. We're strengthening our walk. But there's coming a day where we'll be glorified, where you will receive the final installment of your salvation. And that is a new body. Sometimes that's hard to think about. But it's true. It's true. You know, we haven't, I, we haven't seen Christ in his glorified body, but we're given pictures in the scriptures 
of his glorified body. But one day, the scripture says, we're going to have a body just like his. And that's what we want to show to other people. Paul's joy was evangelism and winning men and women to Jesus Christ. And, and he, he finishes it off with verse 20. He says, and this was Paul's thrust in his missionary journeys. He says, for you, talking about the believers, are our glory and joy. And that should be our heart. We should find it, we should, we should enjoy reaching out to people and letting that be our passion. You know, it can be difficult at times because we all have stuff. You know, when I came to Christ, I had a lot of stuff. I had a lot of baggage. But through discipleship, through mentoring, God has worked on me greatly. And he can work on you. And he can use you to work on other people. The challenge before us this morning, as, as I was studying this passage, and what I, what I want to close my message with is this, is will we be found faithful? Will we be found faithful? I've, I've given you, can you bring the um, principles back up, Madison? Bring the, uh, the list. Based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we need to understand that we're a steward of the gospel, that we need to speak the truth in love, that money doesn't drive the train. We want to we live lives that bring honor and glory to Christ Jesus. We want to deeply care for other people. We want to make it our mission to build the kingdom. And then we want to handle Scripture carefully and accurately as good stewards. Because James 3.1 says, be mindful of being a teacher because you will, you will incur a stricter judgment. So we handle God's word carefully. But this is faithfulness according to our passage. And what I want to do this morning in closing is I want to pray. I want to pray for all of you guys and myself. I want to pray for all of us that we'll grow in these areas in our faithfulness and our commitment to the Lord. Can we do that? Let's do that. Let's bow our heads. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, thank you for 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where your servant Paul is defending his ministry and showing the authenticity of his Christian walk. Lord, will you help us grow in these areas, Lord? Lord, no, none of us here are perfect. Some of us here have issues we're working through. But Lord, I pray this morning that you'll help us grow in these areas of our faithfulness and our commitment to you and our commitment to people around us, Father, and, and, and partnering with people and discipling people, Father, and keeping our priorities straight. Lord, work these things in us. Lord, help us to be found faithful. When you return on that day, Lord, let us be about your business. And that's being faithful to you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen.